Hello. Welcome to the legends of King Arthur and his knights. Chapter 4. With a little help from his friends. King Arthur had won the first battle against the six kings, but he knew that he hadn't achieved a final victory. On the advice of Merlin, Arthur returned to London and brought his knights and barons together for a war council. This meeting was wholly unsuccessful, and Arthur turned to the one person he knew would give him the answers he needed. He asked Merlin the wizard what he should do next. Across the sea in Gaul, said Merlin, are two kings, friends and allies of your father. Their names are King Ban of Benwick and King Bors of Gorns. They are currently at war with King Claudas of the Wasteland. If you offer them your help in their war, then they will surely give you their help in yours. This seemed like a thoroughly excellent idea, and so Sir Ulfius and Sir Brastius were sent to Gaul to find the two kings. On their journey, they killed eight knights who worked for King Claudas. Finding the two kings was an easy job, as they both happened to be in Benwick when the messengers arrived. The two knights explained to King Ban and King Bors that their assistance was required by the great King Arthur. When Ban and Bors, who were brothers, learned that Ulfius and Brastius had killed eight of Claudas's knights, they were delighted. They all sat down to a huge feast, where an awful lot of food and drink was consumed. The next day, the knights began their journey home, with the answer from the two kings. Yes, they would help, and they'd be in Britain by Halloween. They were as good as their word. When they arrived in Britain, they were met by Arthur and his court about ten miles outside London. There was another massive banquet, served to the three kings by Sir Kay, Sir Lucan the butler, and Sir Grifflet. There was much chatting about battle strategy and how they were going to wipe the floor with the six kings. After much merriment, and of course a tournament, it was time for the serious stuff of war. And serious it was. The six kings had not wasted any time sitting around feeling sorry for themselves after the last battle. In fact, they'd gone out recruiting, and now there were not only six kings, there were eleven. Not only that, they'd recruited even more knights and soldiers. Altogether, the army of the eleven kings numbered sixty thousand, fifty thousand of them on horseback. It was a mighty force, and one that was not going to be easy to defeat. Arthur, Bors and Ban only had thirty thousand. The eleven kings and their men advanced towards Arthur, Bors and Ban. Before long, the two armies were facing each other. The first day of the battle was full of blood and death. Over ten thousand men were killed, and the battlefield was strewn with bodies. Arthur was worried. His enemy had more men than he did, and he'd need to do something clever to come out on top. Fortunately, he had a very clever friend. As usual, he asked Merlin for his advice. Merlin advised him to tell King Bors and King Ban to lead ten thousand men into a small forest and hide. They were not to come out until ordered to do so, when hopefully they could ambush the enemy's forces. Arthur, as usual, did as he was advised. The next day the battle started up again, and it was even more fierce. The eleven kings noticed that Arthur didn't seem to have as many men as before, but they just assumed Ban and Bors had decided not to fight. They set about the smaller force with increased fury. The battle turned this way and that, usually when someone's horse was killed. There was an awful lot of horse-swapping going on. First, Sir Ulfius's horse was killed, and he had to fight on foot. Then the same thing happened to Sir Grifflet. Sir Kay saw what had happened, and he swung a mighty blow at King Nentes, knocking him off his horse. Quickly, Sir Kay grabbed the horse and gave it to Sir Grifflet. 
Just for good measure, he also knocked King Lot from his horse. The favour was returned when the King of a Hundred Knights smashed Sir Kay to the ground, took his horse and gave it to King Lot. Grifflet, seeing Sir Kay on the floor, killed an enemy knight called Pinnell and gave his horse to Sir Kay. There was an awful lot more horse-stealing. Even King Arthur joined in. He knocked King Cradlement of North Wales off his horse and gave it to Sir Ulfius, who had been the first to lose his ride. Before too long, there were plenty of dead horses and a lot of dead men, but none of the leaders had been killed. King Lot was wounded, but still able to fight. The fight became even more fierce. Arthur fought like a lion. Lot led four of the other kings and 15,000 men to attack Arthur's army from behind. Arthur gave the order for kings Ban and Bors to attack. The 10,000 men with the two kings from Gaul had not fought yet that day and they were fresh. They'd also been cooped up in a small forest for the best part of the day and were straining every sinew. They were ready and they were focused. With a terrifying war cry they stormed out of the forest and met King Lot and the other four kings head on. The battle was even more loud and violent than the earlier ones. Spears and swords clashed, impaled and broke with alarming speed. Nobody was too sure who was winning. King Lot cried out when seeing King Bors. We're in trouble here. Over there is one of the best knights in the whole world. Still, he kept fighting through his pain. King Carados was not impressed though, and he led his men towards King Bors. King Carados realised his mistake. Bors was indeed a fearsome warrior, and his brother was just as good. The men fighting for the five kings were slaughtered. The battle wasn't going too well for the other six kings either. King Lot, seeing that they were falling behind, shouted to all the men of the eleven kings. He told them to all come together so they could fight the enemy as a united force. The eleven kings swore they'd never fail each other and came together. They took new spears, stood still and close and waited. Forty of Arthur's knights begged to be allowed to take on the kings. They rode towards them and met them in battle, furiously trying to kill the knights and get to the kings. Before long, Arthur himself dove in and joined them. He fought valiantly and skilfully. Kings Ban and Bord entered the fray and were just as valiant and skilful as Arthur. At the height of the battle, Merlin arrived on a huge black horse. He rode over to King Arthur. My lord, he shouted, you have killed three quarters of the enemy's men. Of 60,000, they now only have 15,000 alive. It is time to stop the killing. You will not win a final victory today. If you attack any further, then you're destined to lose today's battle. It is time to stop while you're ahead, and then you will eventually defeat these kings. Look at them, they're broken. They have nothing left except their honour, and you must leave them with that. Arthur wasn't very pleased, but he knew better than to go against the word of Merlin. He gave the order to stop the battle. There was quite a lot of captured treasure, which Arthur gave to kings Bannon Bors. The great army withdrew to their lodgings for the night. Sure enough, the eleven kings slunk back to their kingdoms and did not put up any further fight. Some of them would be back for another go in the future, but for now they were beaten. It was just as well, because before long, Arthur heard that King Ryance of North Wales was making war on an ally of Arthur's called King Leodegrance. Arthur, Bannon Bors, with 20,000 battle-hardened veterans, turned up to support Leodegrance, and they soon had King Ryance's men running for their lives. Leodegrance's kingdom was saved, and he invited the three kings for a celebratory feast. The food and wine at the feast were wonderful, but Arthur could hardly eat. 
Sitting next to King Leodegrance was the most beautiful woman that Arthur had ever seen, and he spent the entire meal gazing at her. He knew that when it was time to marry he would be back here again. He had seen his future wife. The lucky girl was the daughter of King Leodegrance, and her name was Guinevere. After the feast, King Ban and King Bors travelled back to Gaul to renew their fight with Claudas. Arthur offered to go with them and help, but they said no. They could manage, and anyway, Arthur still had things to do at home. We will see what happened to our friends Bors and Ban very soon. Arthur decided to take his mind off things with a spot of hunting. While hunting in the wood, he spotted a white hart, a female deer, and gave chase. He chased it for so long that his poor horse fell down dead from exhaustion, at which point Arthur decided to have a rest. He sat down by a fountain and became lost in his own thoughts. He was rudely found when he heard a noise which sounded like sixty dogs. He looked up and saw the strangest animal he'd ever seen. It had a serpent's head, a leopard's body, a lion's tail and the feet of a stag. The weird beast drank from the fountain, made even more noise and ran off. Arthur wasn't too sure whether he'd dreamed the whole thing and he fell asleep. When he woke up, a knight was standing above him. "'I don't suppose you saw a really bizarre animal run past here, did you?' the knight said to Arthur. Arthur, realising the beast must have been real, told him he'd seen it. The knight, who was called King Pellinore of the Isles, announced that it was his quest to follow and catch the beast. Now that he didn't have a horse, he was worried that he'd fail. At that moment, a yeoman arrived with a horse for King Arthur. King Pellinore begged that he be given the horse, but Arthur refused. He decided he'd follow the quest instead. King Pellinore, though, was not having any of it. He ran to Arthur's horse, mounted it, and rode off. Arthur shouted after him that he'd catch up with him. He asked the yeoman for another horse. The yeoman wandered off. Arthur sat down in thought yet again. This time he was disturbed by a fourteen-year-old boy who asked him why he looked so thoughtful. Arthur was short with the boy, but was shocked by what he said next. "'I know who you are,' he said. "'I know who your father is, and I know your mother. "'King Uther was your father, and your mother is the Lady Egrain. Arthur told the boy to get lost. Soon, an old man of eighty disturbed him, and asked him why he looked so sad. Arthur replied that many things were making him sad, but he'd also been highly irritated by a teenager telling him who his mother was, when he couldn't possibly know. The old man smiled. Ah, but he did know, and he would have told you a lot more if you hadn't dismissed him. I was he. The old man before Arthur's eyes turned into Merlin. I will tell you my prophecy anyway. We will both suffer death, but mine will be shameful and yours will be honourable, and mine will be many years before yours. Arthur checked with Sir Ulfius and Sir Ector, and found that Merlin was telling the truth. When it was confirmed, he sent for his mother. She arrived, bringing with her her youngest daughter, Morgan Le Fay. Arthur took his mother in his arms and hugged her and cried. Then he ordered an eight-day feast to celebrate. Soon after the feast, a squire rode into King Arthur's court, dragging a horse behind him. On the horse was a dead knight. The squire informed everyone that the knight had been killed by another knight who had set up camp by a fountain in the woods. Arthur, guessing that it must be King Pellinore, the horse thief, smiled to himself. He was about to get up and ride to the forest when one of his knights stopped him. Sir Grifflet, who had only recently been made a knight, 
asked that he be allowed to go and avenge the death of the dead knight. Arthur wasn't too keen, but he reluctantly agreed. Two days later, twelve messengers arrived from the Emperor in Rome, demanding that Arthur do homage to their master. Arthur told them to get lost. Not long after that, a half-dead Sir Grifflet staggered back into the court. He told them how he'd been defeated by the knight who was camped by the fountain. This time, Arthur did not let anyone else go in his place. He collected his sword and a couple of very good spears and rode back to the place where he'd first encountered King Pellinore. As he approached the camp, he saw a knight sitting in a chair. The knight heard him and turned his head. It was indeed King Pellinore. "'Oi, horse-thief!' shouted Arthur. "'Grab a spear, get on your horse and ride at me. I challenge you to a joust.' King Pellinore smiled, put on his armour, collected a very fine spear and mounted his horse. The two men charged at each other fast as the wind. They hit each other with the force of two trains colliding. Both spears splintered, bits of wood flying through the air. King Arthur drew his sword, but King Pellinore chucked another spear at him and suggested another joust. Again they jousted, and again both spears broke. This time, though, Arthur fell from his horse. Pellinore jumped from his own mount and the two men engaged in the fiercest sword fight possible. After so many sword strokes that both men must have been exhausted, Arthur's sword was knocked from his hands. King Pellinore smiled. Yield to me or die, he said. I yield to nobody, yelled Arthur. Then with a blood-curdling scream he rang at Pellinore and knocked him down. Pellinore, though, was a big man and an excellent hand-to-hand fighter. He punched Arthur and then sat on him. With Arthur unable to move, Pellinore pulled off his helmet and raised his sword. Then he swung and cut off Arthur's head. Or he would have done if Merlin hadn't intervened. Knight, stop! This is Arthur, High King of all Britain. Then, just to make sure Pellinore stopped, he cast a spell on him. Pellinore slumped down and Arthur, brushing the grass from his armour, stood up. I hope you haven't killed him, Merlin, he said. He's an honourable knight and a great fighter. He's not dead, smiled Merlin, merely asleep. He will wake up in three hours. He is King Pellinore and will be of great service to you in many years to come. Not only that, his two sons will also become great knights and serve you well. They will be called Sir Lamarack and Sir Percival. And one day, my lord, he will tell you the name of the man who will destroy your reign. Arthur and Merlin rode back to Caerleon in silence. So, what happened to King Ban and King Bors? Well, the two kings returned home and found their lands were still under threat from King Claudas of the Wasteland. King Ban challenged King Claudas to a joust. The horses galloped towards each other and King Ban, determination and fury in his heart, aimed his spear. He hit Claudas with such a blow that the King of the Wasteland was thrown into the air before landing with a sickening crash on the ground. King Ban smiled to himself as he rode away, convinced that his enemy was dead and his troubles were over. Nothing could have been further from the truth. Claudas recovered and led his army into Ban's territory. Pretty soon, all King Ban had left was one castle, at a place called Trebe. King Bors was ill and couldn't come to his aid, so Ban decided there was only one person he could rely on. Quietly, he slipped out of the castle with his wife Helen, his baby son and his most loyal squire. He left his seneschal in charge. After a day of travelling, the party reached a broad lake. King Ban left his wife and son and his squire by the lake and rode to the top of a nearby hill. 
He knew that he'd be able to see his beloved castle at Treve from the top of the hill, and he wanted to see it one more time before he made his way to Britain. When King Ban reached the top of the hill, he got the biggest and most dreadful shock. His beloved castle was in flames. His seneschal had betrayed him, and Claudas had taken his fortress. Overcome with sorrow and defeat, King Ban died, there and then, on the hill. His horse bolted down the hill, back to the lake. It was clear to the squire and to Helen that something was very badly wrong. The squire caught the horse and rode it back up the hill. When he saw the body of King Ban, he wailed such a piercing wail that Queen Helen heard it. Forgetting about her baby son, who she left in the grass by the camp, she ran up the hill. Seeing the body of her dead husband, she wept until she could weep no more, and then fainted. Many hours later, she awoke and remembered her boy. She ran down the hill, hoping that he was okay. When Helen reached the bottom of the hill, she saw a strange sight. Her son, perfectly still and happy, was cradled in the lap of a woman who was sitting by the lake. Helen pleaded with the woman to give her back her son. The woman stroked the child, who seemed to be perfectly happy in her lap. She said nothing in reply to poor Helen. Then, taking the little boy with her, she turned towards the lake and jumped in. Very quickly, woman and boy disappeared below the surface of the cold water. Helen fainted again. When she woke up, there was no sign of either of them. King Bors heard about the death of King Ban, and he too died from his sorrow. Claudas overran his lands and took his two sons into his household, promising to do them no harm. The two boys, who were called Bors and Lionel, were treated well, and we will meet them again soon. And what of Helen, her son, and the strange woman? King Ban's wife became a nun and lived in a convent for the rest of her life. The strange woman was known as Nimui, the Lady of the Lake. It seems that there were a number of Ladies of the Lake, but this is not the same Lady of the Lake who gave Excalibur to Arthur. In fact, it's not even the same lake. Anyway, Nimui, the Lady of the Lake, looked after the son of King Ban and raised him. We will meet him again in a few chapters' time when he's grown up. His name, of course was Lancelot. Next time, we will see King Arthur finally defeat his enemies. Until then, have a great week, and I'll speak to you next time.